Hey, I'm Gabriel Goldfeder. I'm a Jewish life consultant, a.k.a. Rabbi. One of the most famous hearts in the Torah is the heart of Pharaoh. We can't ignore the questions that arise when we read verses about how God hardens Pharaoh's heart or strengthens Pharaoh's heart. But what we do know is that the decision of whether or not to liberate the Jewish people is dependent upon Pharaoh's heart. And we get a sense that when Pharaoh's heart is broken or opened or broken open, then he will release the Jewish people from servitude. We can see in the story of Pharaoh a battle for his heart. He is perpetually confronted with a reality that he, one might think, cannot deny. He can't deny that what just happened in his land or to his people or even to his body through this plague or that is resultant of a force that controls everything, that being the Holy One, blessed is God. And yet, Pharaoh constructs a world of reasoning in which he can avoid or resist or deny that fact of the rulership of the Holy One, blessed is God, using what the reader knows to be somewhat low-level or unconvincing realities. A plague comes along, his magicians can produce some duplicate, some facsimile of that plague, and that's enough for him to keep his heart closed and to avoid and to deny the knowledge which is knocking on his door constantly. The wise reader, of course, doesn't simply assume that these realities are only true concerning the evil Pharaoh, but they reflect on the nature of their own heart and their own resistance to reality that is knocking on their door and trying to show them something that they don't know, trying to make them alert to some element of their own experience, of the experience around them, which they are refusing, for whatever reason, to acknowledge. And Pharaoh's heart is not the only heart of a villain, so to speak, into which we are given a window through our holy scriptures. We're also given abundant material and opportunity to reflect on the heart of Haman, who is the villain of the Purim story. For example, we read about Haman's fateful journey to go speak with Ahasuerus, the king, to convince Ahasuerus that Haman should be allowed to hang Mordechai from the gallows that he has made for Mordechai. And what he doesn't know, of course, is that Ahasuerus has some concerns. First, about Haman's relationship with Esther. There is some suspicion that has been aroused. But also Ahasuerus has his own concerns that he has a debt that he has not paid back. At a fateful moment, Haman knocks on the door, again to ask permission from Ahasuerus to hang Mordechai. And Ahasuerus says, Mi who is in the courtyard? And the verse tells us, Haman had come to the outer courtyard of the king, 
Lemor la melech litlot et Mordechai ala eitz, asher hechinlo, to tell the king to hang Mordechai on the gallows that he had built for him. Vaimruna areha melech elav, and the king's lads, his servants, said to him, the king, Hine haman omed bachatzer, behold, haman stands in the courtyard. Vaimruna melech yavo, and haman said, let him come in. Vayavo haman, haman comes in, he's about to tell Ahasuerus' plan. Vayamalo haman, the king says, Mala sot ba isha sher hamelech hafetz bikaro. What should be done for the man whom the king wishes to honor? And here's the key line. Vayam haman belibo. Haman said in his heart, Lemiyach pots hamelech la sot yakar yotermi meni. Haman said in his heart, Who would the king want to honor more than me? We don't know. There may be abundant evidence that the king is definitely interested in honoring Haman. But we also know that this voice in Haman's heart is not simply a reflection of reality. It's a reflection of Haman's own version of reality, of his story about reality. It's a story about his own self-regard. And as such, it will be wise. We, of course, the reader know this to be true. And we also know the end of the story. So we know all the more so why it would be wise. It would be wise for Haman at some moment to reflect on his relationship to that voice in his heart that says, who would the king want to honor more than me? It would be wise for him to be suspicious of the voices that come up inside of himself and for him to know that not all the voices that pop up in his heart are reflections of actual tangible reality outside of himself, but are rather reflections of his own impulses and his own prejudices. Again, noticing here, not that the voice is necessarily wrong, but that a person should have some relationship, some certain amount of distance between themselves and the voices that pop up in their heart, at least enough to wonder, is this true and where is it coming from? And the rabbis notice this in an incredible midrash. They say on this verse, Vayavo Haman, Haman came, and the king said to him, etc. Vayamra Haman belibo, Haman said in his heart, the midrash says, Harashaim the wicked are controlled by or are under the auspices of their hearts. And it gives examples. Vayomer Esav Belibo, Esav said in his heart. Amar Naval Belibo, Naval said in his heart. Naval is someone who comes up in the story of King David. Vayomer Yeravam Belibo, Yeravam, an evil king, said in his heart. Vayomer Haman Belibo, Haman said in his heart. In each one of these people, we have examples of someone who, some voice based upon something, we don't know what, some reasoning comes along and speaks to this person through their heart and they think it must and automatically is true. This is real. This is reality. Whatever it is that my heart is telling me. Aval, but, says the Midrash, Hatzadikim, the righteous, Libmam Birshutam, their hearts are under their auspices. And as we see, Examples of Chana, Vachana he midabert aliba. Chana spoke to her heart. Vayasem Daniel alibo. Daniel put on his heart. Vayomer David elibo. David said to his heart. And all of them, Vedomi the Boran, they are all similar to their Creator, to God, about whom it says, Vayomer Hashem elibo. Hashem said to Hashem's heart. So this midrash lays out, I think, very effectively, 
a relationship to the heart, an ideal relationship to the heart, which has some kind of space, some kind of distance that allows for a person not simply to listen to their heart and to take whatever the impulse or voice the heart emits as truth automatically, but rather a relationship in which the person understands that their heart might need to be worked on, that their heart might have a configuration that makes it susceptible to certain voices and certain impulses that might not be advisable to act on. In this, we see that the Jewish tradition definitely does not think we we should shut off our brains and listen to our hearts. It is definitely suspicious of only listening to one's heart. And that's because the heart definitionally contains many voices. And frankly, that's what makes it amazing. The brain, as it were, tends to work towards a singular reality or a singular truth. What is? In fact, the brain, as it is associated with the mystical function called Chochmah, wisdom, is often presented as asking the question, Koachma. It is the question of the power to ask what? What is this? The word Chochmah. Wisdom, if you rearrange the letters, yields koachma, the power to ask what? The power to ask in a cold, uninterested, as it were, disconnected way, abstract way, non-personal way, objective way. What is it? What is here? Chochma associated with mathematics and with physics and biology and botany. What is? What is real here? What is the actual facts on the ground? The heart, on the other hand, tends to operate much more broadly. What else is going on? What is my body trying to tell me? What are other people saying? What do I wish would happen? What am I afraid might happen? What are the multiple voices and multiple concerns that I'm holding here? The heart, the lave, as it sits in, again, the mystical configuration of our experience in the world, sits as a bridge or as a crossroads between Chochmah, which is above wisdom, and the seven lower sefirot, which correspond to emotions and also even to the body. And it stands between them, and it's holding both voices. It's handling and holding a multivalence, a multiplicity of voices, and trying to hold them and to acknowledge them and to balance them, as it were. So for this reason, the heart is almost always referred to in our tradition as plural. Almost always in the Torah, it's referred to as levav, Even though we would say in modern Hebrew that the word for heart is lev, the proper usage that the Torah almost always uses is levav. And these two bets, these two bites, these two houses, as it were, these rooms, acknowledges the fact that that the heart holds many things at once. It holds many energies at once. And that is it. So we see the heart is a place of two yatzers. Two voices, two tendencies, two urges. And as such, it is not always a good idea to automatically let the heart drive the car as long as those two urges have not been seen and addressed and noticed and navigated and understood. And until a person has consciously decided how to act in response to those voices, how to configure a response based upon that multiplicity of voices. But clearly, and I think obviously, we would not, God forbid, want our hearts to produce only one response, to yield and to open itself only to one voice and to one urge. 
it is important that these multiple voices are seen as essential. We need to know more. We need to be aware of all the different needs and wants, those fears and hopes, opinions and urges. We need the heart to do its job of opening, of listening, of taking in. And for this reason, so much of what we're going to talk about has to do with the difficult process of opening the heart, of purifying the heart, of cleaning the heart, of removing the obstacles to the heart so that the heart can open in all those ways, so that the heart can open and be compassionate towards oneself and the variety of experiences that are presented within one's own life and also to the needs of others. And we also need the heart to be sensitive to itself and to notice when images and fantasies and urges are coming up and to understand what to do with those. And so for this purpose, one of the main operations that we're going to have to focus on is the question of how to open the heart. But that's not the last step. After that, after the heart is opened, once the heart is opened, as the heart is being opened, what's next? What do we do with all that? How do we navigate all the different voices that have entered the heart if we've succeeded and we've allowed for the heart to open and to make itself available to all these different ruchot, these different spirits and urges and emotions and feelings, etc. And it may be that this is where prayer comes in. As the Talmud in Ta'anit suggests on the verse from the Shema, La'ahava et Hashem alakechem, to love Hashem your God, ula'avdo b'chol and to serve God with all your heart. Again, that heart, levav, with two vets, two houses. And the Gemara asks, Ezohi avodah shehi balev, which is the kind of service that is located in the heart? Have omer this is prayer. And the word tefillah means to wrestle. It is the process of wrestling with all those different voices and navigating them. Of holding them and allowing them to express themselves in the context of one another. But it may be that what makes prayer unique and not just simply the same as therapy or journaling is the fact that I do so in the presence of a higher power. I'm acknowledging that this isn't just about getting clear on what it is that I actually want, but it is getting clear in the context or in the presence of a higher power and understanding that there are consequences to this, that the choices that I make have a framework in which they operate. When I pray, I bring in the eyes and the ears of the Holy One to help me and also to help me keep perspective on the larger story that's happening. So again, the two main processes that are offered to us or maybe even demanded us as people who have hearts is to open, to learn about that process of opening and also to navigate, to discern, to organize, to bring back into a relationship, to bring back into a larger story, those different voices that we have. And with that, I close for today with a real blessing for all of us to be able to do the work, the important, essential work of opening our hearts to ourselves, to each other, to a world that holds an abundance of precious joy and meaning and also pain and need, and also to be able to, to daven that, to pray that, 
to figure out once we hold that to look into our hearts and to gently but clearly figure out and decide how we need to move how we need to go how we need to express how we need to give towards the ultimate vision that we have but in a way that is honest in a way that's sustainable in a way that's genuinely of service i mean